Praise God. You know, I love coming to uh, Kalamunda Church of Christ because the Lord always speaks to me here. You know, it says, my sheep will hear my voice. And he says, uh, you will hear a voice in your ear saying, this is the way, walk in it whenever you turn to the left or right. And I've been coming here for, for years, uh, speaking, a pastor's meeting, and I don't know why, but I always take the wrong turning to the bathroom. And I end up close, going through that room, and the Lord speaks to me and goes, you're in the wrong place, buddy. So if I've shocked anyone, I've never actually got through the door, but um, you know, the signs here are uh, interesting. So if you're visiting here for the first time or when you came here for the first time, anyway, praise God. Um, Selena and Joel, you still here? I thought you just came for prayer and went home, you know, but I just really sense that, uh, I know I'm speaking on God's dance tonight, but uh, that's what your uh, marriage is going to be about, your togetherness. It's going to be about just dancing together with the Lord. And uh, you know you know that sometimes you say, well, the man leads, but there are going to be opportunities for Selena, you to lead because he doesn't know the steps. And you do. And I think that's that mutual uh, sharing together. Um, and there's going to be uh, just... There's going to be times in the stance where someone's going to try and break in on it. And Joel, I don't, I don't know you. I don't know you from, well, I do know you from a bar of soap because I used a bar of soap this morning. It looks totally different from you. But There are going to be times because you just would step back. And there are going to be times when this aggression or this righteous anger is going to get in and says, this is not going to come between me and my wife. This is not going to come in there. This is not going to break in. It's not, maybe not a person, but a, but a situation. And you remember this word and you go, I'm, I'm, I can't be passive about this. I'm going to be, have to be uh, proactive and aggressive about this. Does that make sense to you? Because Selena's going to tap you on the side of the head and go, wake up. Pray. I, I sense that there's a, there's, it may be one person here or, or maybe a few, but I had a picture just when we were praying up there of a, a marlin uh, fish on a line. It was hooked. And this fish was jumping out of the water and racing away and then it would get tired and it would get slowly reeled in and it would do it again and do it again and do it again until it gave up. This person here, something's hooked into you and you've been fighting it perhaps for even for years and you think, I've just got to give up. I just can't do this anymore. I can't do this anymore. I can't fight this line, hook and line anymore. And I want to tell you, the Lord is going to take the hook out. You've been trying to break the line. The Lord's going to take the hook out of your flesh and you'll be escape. You're going to escape and be free. Hallelujah! And some of the things I say today may help you with this. Praise God. Also, sense that there were people with, uh, and you may not have one now, but and obviously, in any, you can say this in any church, anything. But people suffer from headaches, and uh, 
I just, I just had a picture of the church praying for one another here. So what I wanted you to do, just before I start speaking, you suffer, you may not be having a headache now, but you suffer from headaches. And I saw two things. I saw one is, is like a vice squeezing the temples and also like this sort of thing coming up the back of the head and just and then bang, you, you're, you're in a headache. So if that's you, if you get headaches, bad headaches, uh, would you just put your hand up and I want the person next to you, a couple of people next to you, or just walk across and just pray for them now. All right, so stick your hand up. Some people here, some people here. Hallelujah. You pray for, is that your mum? Pray for her. Hallelujah. Good. Gentlemen here. They're over here. Father, we come against every spirit of infirmity attacking these people in the name of Jesus. You said that you've given us the helmet of salvation. And Father, we pray, Lord, that right now, Lord, as we uh, bind on earth, that it may be bound in heaven, every spirit of infirmity that would attack these minds and this, these, Lord, and bring headaches and bring pain in Jesus' name. Spirit of pain, I rebuke you now in the name of Jesus. You release these heads and this vice on these people's heads, Lord, Lord, let it be relieved in the name of Jesus. And that, Father God, that there may be, Lord, a breakthrough in their lives in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Just on one thing, and I haven't intended to share this, but I was a very sickly kid. I had uh, glandular fever for three and a half years, and then it came back, put me in hospital. I had operations. I was in hospital, I think, in... in uh, 65, 66, 67, 69, and 70. Uh, when I came to Christ, this uh, pastor, years later, and, and I had asthma, and I had migraines, and uh, I had all of that, and um, he just discerned on me a, a spirit of infirmity. And uh, prayed for me, broke it off. And I'm, I can't say that everything happened just like that, but it just started to lift. And after a while, I just, I found I, I don't get migraines, I don't have asthma. I've had other things, but because I chose the wrong parents. But um, yeah, I just want to encourage you that sometimes we've got to make a stand. All right, well, this is uh, what really counts, lives transformed, amen? And I've entitled this Lives Transformed, Spiritual Blessings, Our Blessings, Our Spiritual Blessings in Christ. In January 2017, at this church, I was part of a panel of ministry leaders, some of you will remember this, who faced a series of questions put forward by the congregation uh, that they text to Steve, you know, like, who will win the AFL for 2017 and, and you know. Um, the last question uh, really posed as a statement, and if, you, if this is one of your questions today, please forgive me, but was commented on only by one panellist got to answer it because we run out of time. And uh, um, unfortunately that panellist was not me. And for the last 17 months, I've been waiting for an opportunity to come back and set the record right. 
The statement went this. The text, this was what they te- began with a statement. The following two scriptures. Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Sum up the gospel. And then there was some question, which I can't remember, related to that. The reason I wanted to respond to that, the reason I wanted, I, I, and seriously, 17 months, I wanted to come back and, and, and say, this is my answer to that. Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart and strength and mind, and thou shalt love your neighbor as yourself, is not the gospel. It's a response to the gospel. And there's an incredible subtle difference between that, and I'm going to look at that, because as the Apostle John said in, in 1 John 4, 19, he says, we love him, our response, because he first loved us, the gospel. Or another way of putting it, Ephesians 1, verse 3, says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. What is the gospel? The gospel is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. What is our response? To blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And as you see on that slide, uh, the word, the Greek word translated blessed is derived from the word eulogio, or elugio, which literally means good word. You meaning good, logos meaning word. And, it, and we know from our English language that if you go to a funeral, they give a eulogy, don't they? And they give a good word about the person who's died. It's a pity they didn't give a good word before they died, but uh, anyway... Um, but you, you do that. That's what, it, what a eulogy means. So in this verse, all right, we praise them, we affirm them when we give a eulogy. But in this verse, it's really saying something like this. We eulogize the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ because he has eulogized us. We speak well of the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ because he has spoken well of us. And you think, well, okay, we understand that. But what an incredible statement that is. The Father speaks well of you and I. It's because He speaks well of us that we can speak well of Him. It's because He affirms us, we affirm Him. It's because He blesses us, we bless Him. It doesn't say praise God so that He will bless us. It says praise God because He has blessed us. We don't... We bless God because He's blessed us. We don't bless God so that He will bless us. But it says we've been t- blessed with all spiritual blessings. And if you look at that, I've actually put, and if you look, there's a difference there. Perhaps some of your Bibles will read spiritual blessings with a little s. But many theologians and I agree with them, believe that the word spiritual should have a capital S. It should be spiritual blessings in Christ. And the reason that is, is because they're Holy Spirit blessings. And you think, well, that's a bit of a, how can you say that? The whole of the Greek New Testament was actually written in capitals. 
and the translator had to decide which was a capital, started with a capital, and which was started with a small s. And sometimes I think they got it wrong with the Holy Spirit because this is not an adjective describing the blessings as opposed to material blessings. This refers to the source of the blessings, and that's through the Holy Spirit. God blesses us through the Holy Spirit. And this, this favor, this affirmation, this grace that comes from the Father through Christ, in, in Christ through the Spirit, that's the Trinity. And that's what we were sharing tonight. The whole Trinity is involved in firming, affirming us, in blessing us. The Father is the subject here who has blessed us with all Holy Spirit blessings in Christ. The Trinity of the Father, Son, and Spirit in this great yes God who delights in blessing and affirming us, in speaking well of us. And each person of the Trinity is involved in bringing this blessing into our lives. And it's not, the blessing is not measured. We sometimes say, oh, God has blessed me because I've got a good job, or God has blessed me because I've got a new car, or God blessed me because I've got a good job, or I'm healthy. That is not the blessing. The blessing is not measured how healthy or wealthy we are. The blessing is actually the favor of God that has come through us through Christ by the Spirit. It's the love of God, not the measurement of our life. It's the smile of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit upon our life. Now, I want to introduce you, and some of you, I know that I'm. this is just pretty basic, but for some of us, we need to know it. But I want to introduce you to two words uh, that don't appear in the Bible, all right, but they sum up how Paul wrote his epistles, especially. These two words, the indicative and the imperative. In English language, or in English grammar, the indicative is a statement, a statement of fact. It's a statement of the way things are. If I say my glasses are on my nose, that's a fact. That's an indicative statement, all right? It's the truth. If I say, I'm going to take my glasses off, or take your glasses off, that's an imperative, a command, or a response. And that's how Paul wrote his letters, Romans, Galatians, Ephesians, and we're going to look at Ephesians just as an overview today of how this is. For example, in Ephesians chapter 1 to 3 is the indicative. Chapters 4 to 6 is the imperative. In the first three chapters, there are no commands. There are no instructions about what we are to do. It's descriptive. In these chapters, we're told who God is, we're told what God has done, and we're told who we are. Which Pastor Steve brought up in, in uh, communion today. It tells us we are a people in relation with God because of what God has done, not what we have done or haven't done. And that's the gospel. The gospel is an indicative statement of what is. It's an announcement. It's a proclamation. It's the good news. It's interesting that the reader on the news at 7 o'clock news on TV never tells, he just tells what is, what has happened. All right? He doesn't predict. 
He just tells it like it is. All right? This is what God has done for us. So what is, if, if that's the indicative of God has done for us, then what is the imperative? And we response to the gospel is just believe and repent. And although Ephesians 4 to 6 doesn't actually term in there, it does tell us how to live our life compared to what God has done for us. All right? The pointers to the grass is that the imperatives listed in 4 to 6 are all grounded and based in this. Before we are told what we are to do, we must first hear what God has done. We must know who we are before we can be who we are. In Ephesians 1 to 3, we're told, who are we? And in Ephesians 4 to 6, we're told, be who we are. We're told in chapters, based on chapters 1 to 3, this is how we walk out of what God has done for us. We are not told that if you live a life of humility, if you live a life of love, if you stand against the devil, if you do this and, we, and you do that, if you are good, then God will accept us. It's the other way around. Now, we know that, but we've got to live it. So, when it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ, with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, the next 10 verses, 11 verses outline what they are and then it's expanded for the rest of the chapter 1, 2 and 3. So let's go very quickly through that. The Father's plan is listed in 4 to 6, Ephesians 1, 4 to 6. It says, just as he chose us in him, all right, these are the spiritual blessings. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption to sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. Now, I could spend a week on this, but I won't. It's all right. But he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and without blame, all right, according to his good pleasure. This was his idea, the eternal God, the eternal Father, Son, and Holy Spirit decided before in eternity, he chose us before the foundation of the world, and he predestined us to adoption, all right? This is something he wanted to do. So in a sense, if you want to take a, he put together the adoption papers for you and I before we were even born. But even longer than that, before even the world was created, he decided, he didn't choose, he didn't say, oh, let's make some creatures, some, uh, let's make some uh, humans and some animals, and then with the humans, uh, um, oh, let's choose them. No, he did it before we'd done anything, before we were even created. So in a sense, and this is why I bring up, in a sense, it didn't matter that sin happened. He already had a plan for that because his purpose was to adopt us as kids. 
The, the, the issue is we know this on one hand, and yet we live on another hand as if we've got to prove ourselves to be good enough. So adoption was never an afterthought. He just wanted to do it. All right? According to whose will? His will. According to the good pleasure of his will. I delight to have sons and daughters. Now, this plan of adoption, who achieves it? Well, in the verses 7 to 12, it shows us that the son achieves the, the father's plan. In him we have redemption, all right? Through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, verse 8, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having, him, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. How rich is his grace? Is he stingy with his forgiveness? Is he begrudging with his forgiveness? No, he lavished it upon us. He's a gracious God who is pleased to choose us as his children. He's pleased to forgive us, all right, fully, frankly, and totally. Why? Not because we deserve it, not because we've earned it, but because God is gra gracious. It's according to the riches of his grace. Now, this is an interesting statement. It is because God is gracious that he forgives. It's in his nature. It's not because Jesus dies that we are forgiven. It's because God is gracious. Jesus dies because God is gracious, because God is gracious, because that was the way of, of, of washing us clean. All right? How, what does that mean? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll say it again. God does not forgive us because Jesus dies for our sins. Jesus dies for our sins because God forgives us. Turns it around. God sends his son to take responsibility for us. That is so his forgiving grace might come to us. All right? And in that, he took upon the judgment upon himself. And then in verse 13 and 14, we have the Holy Spirit's part in all this. So here we have, before the foundation of the world, he draws up, and young people hear this, he draws up an, an adoption paper to adopt you into his kingdom, to adopt you as a son or daughter, all right? His only son, the eternal son, is not adopted. Not created, but he's adopted us. He draws up the paper, all right? But then it's, it's just a paper. It's just an idea. It has to be legalized. It has to be made legal. Can you be adopted? And Jesus Christ, by his blood, all right, makes it legal for you to be adopted 
into the, into the father's family. And now, in verse 13 and 14, he says, In him, all right, that's Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Suddenly, God put his seal on it that this was going to happen. It has already happened in the heavenlies, in a sense, eternity, but now it's going to happen, all right? This is the seal that when Jesus comes back again, it will be accomplished. It's already, but not yet. So what is that? What is the, how does the imperative work here? Well, if you like, Ephesians 1 to 3 talks about eternal life talks about God's plan of eternal life for us as predestined for adoption. Ephesians 4 to 6 talk about what Jesus mentioned in John 10, 10. I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. 4 to 6 is how we live. We live an abundant life. All right? Eternal life is there. It's, it's a, a truth. Now God says to us, all right, based on the indicative, the fact that you, what I have done for you, this is our response. It's not a requirement for us to have eternal life. It's a response because we have eternal life. You're sitting there like, oh, yeah, we know this, Pastor. Get on with it. All right, I will. <laughs> We all need it. I need to remind myself totally all the time, right? And we'll, and we'll show it really well, is that what, it's what God has done, the indicative, all right, that outlines for me the imperative. And I'm not sure I like that total word imperative because it isn't like it's a command, but it's not a requirement. It's a res response, and the response is a result of what God has done. So how then, all right, do we engage with the Holy Spirit to do right, live right, and walk right if, based on what God has done for us? In other words, how do we live out the imperative according, in response to the indicative? When I first got became a Christian, I, I grew up in children's church and, and disappeared when I was about 13, and then God thumped me or called me, actually, probably a better word, but um, in the Philippines when I was 21, wandering on the hippie trail. When I came to Perth, I was given the address of two churches, and one was in northern suburbs, and I ended up being associate pastor of that, and one was Forestfield, and I ended up being senior pastor of that, and, uh, and so uh, that was amazing that God already knew, he predestined, he knew beforehand where I'd walk. But when I was a first Christian, I went to the associate pastor. And I said, I know nothing. Help me. So he gave me some tapes on Romans. He gave me a book on Ephesians. And he gave me a book on Galatians. And the Ephesians book, all right, was called Sit, Walk, Stand by uh, Watchman Nag. And it sums up exactly, you know, Ephesians 1 to 3, we're seated in heavenly places. Ephesians 4, uh, 1 to 6, 9, we uh, walk in the Spirit, all right. And then from nine to the end of the chapter, we stand against the enemy. 
All right, so now you know Ephesians. You don't have to know anything else, you know. But he writes this. In the book, Sit, Walk, Stand, The Process of Christian Maturity, Watchman Nee, writing about the affection of the Father, writes this. Since the day that Adam took the fruit of the tree of knowledge, so we go back in the Garden of Eden, all right, man has been engaged in deciding what is good and what is evil. The natural man has worked out his own standards of right and wrong, justice and injustice, and striven to live by them. Of course, as Christians, we are different. But in what way are we different? Well, since we were converted, a new sense of righteousness has been developed in us with the result that we too are quite rightly occupied with a question of good and evil. But have we realized that for us, the starting point is a different one? Christ is for us the tree of life. We do not begin from a matter of ethical right and wrong, which is the tree of knowledge of good and evil. We do not start from that tree. We begin from Him, Jesus, and the whole question for us is one of life. Nothing has done greater damage to our Christian testimony than our trying to be right and demanding right of others. We become preoccupied with what is right and what is not right. We ask ourselves, have we been justly or unjustly treated? And we think this way to justify our actions. But that is not the standard. The whole question for us is one of cross-bearing. You ask me, is it right for someone to strike my cheek? And I reply, of course not. But the question is, do you only want to be right? As, a, as Christians, our standard of living can never be right or wrong. It's always the cross. The principle of the cross is a principle of conduct. Praise God that he makes his sun shine on the evil and the good. But with him, it is a question of his grace and not of right or wrong. And that is to be our standard also. Forgiving each other, even as God also in Christ forgave you, Ephesians 4.32. Right or wrong is the principle of the Gentiles and tax collectors. This is still Watchman Nee speaking. My life is to be governed by the principle of the cross and the perfection of the Father. You therefore shall be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, I was in church the other day at another church, and I wasn't speaking, I was just listening. And this person wrote went from Colossians, and they says, because you have forgiven, you must forgive. And I went, what? So I looked it up. I thought, it doesn't really say that. I thought, it does say that. And then I looked it closely, and it had must in italics, which means it's added there. It's not in the original. What was, what's important about that? Because that's a requirement. That's a law. If I say, because you're forgiven, you must forgive, it will create all manner of evil desire in you to go to the tree of knowledge and evil and work out whether who is right, who is wrong in this situation, etc., etc. You with me? But it doesn't say that. It just says, because, you've been for, uh, because Christ has forgiven you, so do you. It's a response. It's not a requirement. Once it become a requirement, it's a law. Christ has fulfilled the law. 
Jesus, of course, illustrated these words in Matthew 5, 38 to 48, Sermon of the Mount. We're faced with this challenge. Matthew 5 sets a standard we may feel is impossibly high, and now Paul is in the section of Ephesians 4, 6, endorses it. The trouble is, or probably the good news is, is that we do not find in ourselves by nature the means to attain to a standard or walk in Christ or to walk as Christians. However, the secret has already been spelled out in the indicative in what God has done. And it comes in Ephesians 3.20, the power that works within us. Again, it comes back to the first section of Ephesians. The Christian secret is his rest in Christ, his power derived from God-given position, abiding in Christ or seated in heavenly places, enables us to walk worthy of Him on earth. And that's what it says in 3.20. It says, Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think according to the power at work within us. There's something what God has done. He says, this is what I've done. I've purposed before uh, foundation of the world before creation that you'll be adopted as children and when because of sin I've made a, a way for you to still remain uh, that my purpose and you're adopted as sons and daughters and I've put the Holy Spirit as a seal upon that but also I've given you the Holy Spirit to live within you that you may walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit the power that works within us so I'm going to sum up the, the, the rest of Ephesians, or at least the, the next section, by because the truth of the tree of life, we're able through the power of the Holy Spirit to walk worthy, all right? Verses 1 to 16 of chapter 4, walk in holiness, 17 to 32, walk in love, 5, 1 to 7, walk in the light, 5, 8 to 14, walk wisely, 5, 15 to 20, and walk in submission, 5, 21 to 33, and then from 6, 9, to stand against the enemy. Oh, that's a relief. Now, how many of us try and walk worthy, walk in holiness, walk in love, walk in the light, walk wisely, and walk in submission to prove themselves that they're gods? Now, God says, you're already mine, and from the Holy Spirit living in your life, if you uh, um, walk in the Holy Spirit, you will be able to walk holy, in life, etc., etc., etc. Oh, that's the gospel. Simple. What is the gospel? What God has done, and through His Holy Spirit, we walk in it. But here's the crunch for us the application. Returning to the original assumption thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind and you shall love your neighbor as yourself, being the gospel, this was the mistake the children of Israel made. They put the imperative before the indicative and therefore could not accept the gospel of grace that came to them through Jesus Christ. They believed in God. But suddenly Jesus turned up and said, I am the way. No, hold on a minute. 
I've got to be good enough to be a Christian. You think, now these children of Israel were smarter than that. They couldn't come because of, you know, the, their understanding, Scripture, etc., etc. I want to tell you, they did not believe the gospel because they felt unworthy. They hadn't done enough. They hadn't obeyed the law enough. You think, oh, Richard, how can you say that? They didn't believe the gospel because, you know, they were whatever, but not unworthy. These were the Pharisees that fasted and prayed and, and did all these things. These are the people, children of Israel that have been given the law and the promises. They've given the prophets. These were the people, the children of God, and yet they did not believe the gospel because they felt unworthy. Acts 13, 46 says these words. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out, that is to the Jews, boldly saying, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, but since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. There it is in a nutshell. They judged themselves unworthy. They knew God. They knew about God. They had all the promises, all this and everything, but they judged themselves unworthy because they didn't think they were good enough to receive the grace of God. They thought they had to earn it. They put the imperative before the indicative. Judging yourselves unworthy of eternal life is a strange reason for rejecting grace, yet God's chosen people did exactly that. What was going on in their lives? They camped around the wrong tree. They camped around the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They had to prove themselves to be good or prove themselves they weren't evil. They neglected the tree of life. This was works. This was grace. How many strive ourselves to prove ourselves worthy because we feel so unworthy? How many of the church today are camped around the tree of knowledge? I need to be better. I should be a better Christian. I should be a better husband. I should be a better wife. I should be a better child. Well, of course you should. <laughs> I should be a better prayer. I should be a better giver. I should be a better attender of church. I should be a better, 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 better. Where are we camped? Around the tree of knowledge. Because once I say, I should be a better, I'm then going to point the finger and say, but I'm not as bad as you, so you should be betterer. So, if I swap trees, you know what amazes me? And, and, and it's in all our lives, all right? There's something religious in us. 
that once we go to the tree of life and get Jesus, we then almost walk away and go to the tree of knowledge and good and evil to prove ourselves good. And if you, I want to tell you what, if you have forgiven on the basis that you, if I don't forgive, I won't be forgiven, all right, which is Matthew 5, all right, but it's not spoken to the church, it's spoken to Jews. If you have forgiven for that, you have not forgiven because the tree of life says love keeps no record of wrongs, 1 Corinthians 13. Whoa. For the translation, I was not speaking in tongues then. I was just... We go from the tree of life so often to the tree of knowledge of good and evil. When we get hurt, we justify ourselves. So if I swap trees, or if I now think, oh, goodness, I have. There's certain parts of my life that I've camped around the tree of knowledge of good and evil. When I go back to the tree of life, or what if I've just started the tree of life, will I feel worthy? And the answer is, Yes and no. And one of the reasons it's, and you might think, well, that's a contradiction. But as soon as I try and make myself or feel myself or pretend or that I'm worthy, I'm actually back at the tree of knowledge of good and evil, trying to prove that I'm worthy. So just in my final set of scriptures, I'm going to just tie all this together. In Revelation 5, the Apostle Paul, uh, sorry, the Apostle John saw a scroll that no one was worthy to open. And he cried, it says in Revelation 5, because no one was worthy to open the scroll. But then he saw a lamb who was slain who was worthy to open the scroll. And then he heard a new song in verse 9. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people from God, from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign on earth. Then I looked and heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels numbering myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. He has made us worthy. He has made us worthy. Because he is worthy, all of the indicative written in the first three chapters of Ephesians, God's redemption, God's revelation, God's resurrection, God's reconciliation, God's restoration, and God's riches are truth to us. Because he has made us worthy through Christ and his blood. And now by the power of the Spirit, in Ephesians 4 to 6, the imperative, we're able to walk worthy, walk in holiness, walk in love, walk in the light, walk wisely, walk in submission, walk in obedience. 
I'm not doing these things to make myself worthy. I've been made worthy by the blood of Jesus so that I can walk in these things. I'm not trying to prove myself. I'm not striving to please God. All right? I, I'm not, I refuse to camp around the tree of knowledge and good and evil. I don't come to church because I must. I'm drawn to church by the Holy Spirit. I want to fellowship with one another. I want to be, my worship to be a response, my reading to be a response, and all of these things. So, I know, this is why in Ephesians, and we haven't got time to look at that, it says, stand against the wiles of the enemy, stand against the enemy. I know all of us, whether you're young, and probably the voices are louder when you're young, and when you're old, because your hearing's dull anyway, you can't hear them as much, but we all have voices in our head going, you should be better. You shouldn't have done that. Even things we know we're forgiven of, things that happened even 30, 40 years. And the beauty about getting old is you can't remember what happened yesterday, but you can remember what happened 40 years ago. And you go, ah, oh, like this. You know, so many people feel condemned. So many people are, are using emotional energy to battle the past because every so often the thought from the past goes, oh, what about this? Or why'd you do that? Or even there, we, 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 we're having a phone call with the one we love or, or a, a good friend and they hang up sort of abruptly and we think, oh, have I hurt them? Or maybe they understood, misunderstood me, all right? And uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So what, is, what are people this bullying on social media is about? It's about the tree of knowledge of good and evil. To prove myself right, I have to prove you wrong. To feel better about myself, I have to make myself better than you. Don't work. Doesn't work. So what is the answer to this voice in my head? The Bible says, remember not the form of things, but sometimes it's impossible not to remember the form of things. R basically, you could sum up every voice in your head by saying, it's really saying, you're unworthy. The antidote. The answer is worthy is the lamb. Not to prove yourself worthy because immediately you drop, change trees. It's to declare what happened at the tree of life that Jesus Christ made us worthy because he was worthy. Amen? And so... All glory then goes to Jesus. He says, I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under earth and in the sea and all that was in them. To him who sits on the throne and the Lamb, be blessing and honor, glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. So this morning I want you all to stand. Like musicians to come or... or um, And I don't know, how, how do you do this declaration? Because you said, I love that when you talk to me. 
that's all I've got. Uh, no, I've got the second next slide. All right. All right. Well, what I want to do is I want to do this. But also, some of you have to engage in warfare over this. Not necessarily now or when you get home. When thoughts come into your mind that you are not worthy, this is what you've got to declare. Because as soon as you try and justify or strive or whatever, you've swapped trees. The reason Adam and Eve were tossed out of the garden when they ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil was so they couldn't eat of the tree of life because then they would have lived forever in their sin. But through Jesus' blood, we've got access back into the garden of the tree of life. And we live forever because He is worthy. And I'm, I'm, I know I'm laboring a bit here. This The Bible says in Hebrews, it says, Today, if you hear his voice, harden not your heart. His voice is, You are worthy because I have made you worthy. The enemy's voice says, You will never be good enough. You'll never be worthy enough. It's time to put one down and lift the other up. Amen? So let's declare today. I declare. Because you, uh, sorry, I'll start again. I'm having a different, I'll, I'll do it this way. I declare, because worthy is the Lamb, I am worthy. Some of you believe that. I'm going to do it again. And I want you to think of where you struggle or where you strive, or where you're on the hook, you've been baited, or whatever it is. I want you to think about this and think about the energy that you have put into trying to get off that hook. And I want you to say, I don't have to try anymore. I've been made worthy. All right? So we'll do it again and, and really shout out. Come on, I know this is, you know, I declare. I declare. Because worthy is the Lamb, I am worthy. Praise God. Let's praise the Lord. This, is, this sums up my whole message. This was my whole message. Is that all right to get them to see? No, I'm not.